Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Breakfast special. Welcome to the Breakfast Show's monthly environment special, Climate Connections. The intricate ecosystem dynamics within a tropical rainforest foster a plethora of biotic and abiotic interactions, as well as a delicate balance of trophic relationships. Well, well, you might have heard something along those lines in biology class in college or even high school, but unless you're a science geek, you might need some help with breaking down some of those science jargons. My name is Liana and I'm currently in secondary two. My CCA is called EcoClub, where we take care of a lot of the vegetation in the school, especially the ecological corridor which connects our rainforest and our wetlands. Actually, for a long time, I wanted to be a zookeeper. So when I heard of the school from my father, I was like, yes, I want to attend this because it's so related to the environment. Uh, I find it very cool to have a rainforest and wetlands because they aren't really accessible easily. The only places where you can find those are like national parks, like so for me to be able to walk through an actual one without deranging off a path in a national park, I find it really nice. My name is Liu Yu. Learning in the classroom is often mundane because you're mainly sitting in there for like a few hours listening to a teacher. But what our school does is in geography and science, they'll talk about the adaptations of rainforests, like how their trees and their leaves are adapted to live in a tropical environment. And we can apply that literally in our school because we have a rainforest. So a real-life example is literally next door. I saw frogs in the wetlands once. There are a bunch of dragonflies and there was one time there's a couple of pink net green pigeons nesting and foraging for food. Our school is trying to tie into the UN Sustainable Goals and aid with the Singapore Green Plan of planting a million trees by 2030. Yes, you heard it right. A rainforest and wetlands in the heart of Commonwealth Secondary School, constructed with the hope of bringing nature closer to students and STEM subjects out of the classroom. It's also the answer to our earlier conundrum by breaking down complex concepts through real-life experiences. Senior teacher for biology Jacob Tan was one of the pioneers who saw the idea from seed to fruition a two-year labour of love. These were initiated by our previous principal, uh, Mr Aaron Lowe. I think initially, a team of teachers from the Biology and Geography Unit were brought together to map out our syllabus and our learning outcomes before we started to suggest the kind of eco-habitats that we want to have in the school. So the idea came as our teachers saw the value of demonstrating some of the core ideas such as learning the different layers of the rainforest, adaptations of the roots, and the value of having vegetation to actually retain water when there's heavy downpour. With all these things, we got the help of a professional landscape company and together with advice from MPARCS, we transformed this grass patch into a rainforest habitat so that at different levels of the classroom blocks, students can actually observe the rainforest in a different level. Head of the Humanities Department, Xia Ling Yi, who also oversees the school's eco-stewardship programme, says that this move was exciting for students and teachers alike. In the past, when they had to observe the rainforest, when they had to do water quality testing, they had to go out to Sungai Bulo or to the reservoir to sample the water there. But now actually we can do all of that within the school. So it's a lot more convenient and it's also a lot more immediate which I think the teachers appreciate. And for the students, I think it's very rare that you learn geography beyond just looking at pictures. 
pictures and videos because you can really engage all of your senses. Just like a few weeks ago, our Sec 1 students, they were learning about the rainforest. So there and then, they went out of the classroom, sat in the rainforest, walked through the rainforest and were sketching the different layers and observing how the rainforest interacts with the buildings around it and things like that. And I think it's definitely very, very engaging for them because it really makes learning come alive. And that's not all. Commonwealth Secondary has also turned one of its classrooms into an indoor farm, started a STEM elective, partnered with Amparks to grow endangered forest tree species in its plant nursery, and you can also find food digesters in its canteen. Taking a leaf from his overseas attachment in Costa Rica back in 2015, Jacob realised that learning is more relatable when given the chance to experience things firsthand day to day. So over there, I lived in the rainforest together with teachers from different parts of US coming together to learn about how to lead inquiry in the rainforest. Yeah, so uh, one of the activities that I brought back from there was Fern O Rama. So basically, it's to go into the rainforest to set up a transect, sample the ferns in the transect, and then bring it out to map out the kind of diversity and abundance of this fern in the area. Through the process, the students get to know how data collection is being done and how can we use the data to plot a graph to look at certain trends and make conclusions from there. Uh, I also lead the students to actually help not just learning about reforestation in the science syllabus, but actually get a class of students to plant out the plants that we have in our plant nursery to extend the rainforest so that it can actually connect with the wetland which is on the other side of the school. Nowadays, for us as teachers, we are always uh, wanting to make the connection between what they learn in the classroom and what's in the real world. Because we realise that without an authentic context to start the students off, it will be really hard to get them interested, get them engaged and invest in the learning process. Elsewhere, researchers echo the same sentiments about contextualising issues. It has a very different impact, the experience of seeing a dead animal on the shore and microplastic found in their stomach. It becomes decontextualized uh, when you read about it in a book. And uh, yeah, that's where I think the, the value of the context comes in. And this is where the advantage of utilizing these spaces is found. That's Professor of Science Education, Lucy Avramidou, who's also a director of the Centre for Learning and Teaching at the University of Groningen. She's a co-member of Project Otter, an initiative by researchers from six European countries, namely Finland, Hungary, Ireland, Spain, Cyprus and the Netherlands. They're hoping to address the waning interest in STEM subjects as part of efforts targeting the UN 2030 Sustainable Goals. We design a five-step process. In the preparation step, we set objectives or goals uh, linked to STEM, where the choice for a space for out-of-school science is made. That could be more structured spaces like museums or science centers, but also spaces that are curated. And this might be a community space or the backyard of somebody's house. The second step called the orientation step involves creating relevance for the chosen environmental topic. Each country focuses on, on their own priorities, and uh, these priorities uh, range from plastic pollution to air pollution to water pollution. 
The third step, the discovery step or exploration step, it's the time where uh, students engage in what we call real-life activities. We provide opportunities for them to work closely with scientists where they, they might interview them about the kind of work that they do, but might receive support in using scientific tools and instruments to collect data. So the next step is making an impact, and this is where the goal related to taking action or becoming uh, agents of change comes in. This one focuses on analyzing the data that they collect to share insights and designing and implementing local initiatives related to environmental uh, issues in their communities. And the last step of the process involves encouraging students to reflect both individually but also as a collective on, on their learning processes. And I do want to emphasize the collective part because that's one of the central goals for students to understand that it's only through collective actions that can actually bring in change or address climate crisis. It's only been three years since the inception, but already the project scored groundbreaking funding from the European Commission. Beyond creating more engaging STEM learning opportunities, Professor Avramidou says Project Otter also has the underprivileged community at the heart of what it does. We're targeting people who have been traditionally and historically excluded from science, for example, families with an ethnic or religious or migration backgrounds. We do acknowledge that STEM fields are still dominated by a masculine and objective culture that probably perpetuate existing inequalities. And we're trying to bring together actors from different countries. So essentially the project presents itself as a mosaic of socio-educational context, including schools supported as disadvantaged or underserved in remote areas. And this is a way that we can touch upon the value of this kind of knowledge, the experiential knowledge that comes from the communities, the stories that are uh, inherited from their grandparents, because they do have the potential to bring to the forefront this kind of knowledge that quite often goes unnoticed students from um, underserved communities that in fact to bring with them a wealth of social capital. This was The Breakfast Show's monthly environment special, Climate Connections, on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.